Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here join us on the Live Inspired Movement. As you know by now, on every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their life, their mistakes, the lessons they've learned, and ultimately what it means for each of us. And on this show, it's no different. You are going to fall in love, as I have, with our guest today. She is a dear friend of mine. I have the honor of being a part of her organization. I have an honor of being a board member within her organization. We'll talk about that in a moment. But before we before we do, if you want to continue the journey on this conversation or the Live Inspired conversations taking place online, consider checking us out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Again, that's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. That's where we keep all of our podcasts. It's where we keep our show notes, our videos, our blogs. You can learn more about the book On Fire and the work that we're doing in the community, JohnO'LearyInspires.com. But for today's show, man, I'm excited because I'm sitting across live and in studio a lady that I think is the finest executive that I have ever had the honor of meeting. And I've I've gone all around the world, spoken more than 1,500 times, so this is it's biased because we become dear friends, but it's also honest because I know her work, I know her heart, and today you're going to learn about both. So buckle up, open up your hearts, your minds, your eyes, and your journals as I introduce you to my friend, the chairman and the CEO and the president of Big Brothers Big Sisters Eastern Missouri, Becky Hatter. Becky, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Just so happy to be here. Thank you very much. Oh, and I'm, I'm underselling you right now, but we're going to oversell you by the end of it as they get to learn a little bit more about the work you're doing. For those who have never heard the name Becky Hatter, they are unfamiliar with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Give us a snapshot of both. Tell, tell us about Becky first, and then talk a little bit about Big Brothers. So Becky um, Hatter today, uh, I'm 55 years old, um, born and raised in Louisiana. We'll talk a little bit about that. But um, in St. Louis, have been here um, 23 years um, as the CEO of Big Brothers and Big Sisters, married uh, to my best friend, uh, live in St. Louis Hills, which is in South City, um, uh, parent, I guess, to two dogs, uh, hound dogs, uh, beagles, um, and living a really joyful life. Hmm. The joyful life, it may have been that way your whole life. And yet what I know for the most part, Becky, is we take some ups and downs on the journey toward South City, wherever that South City is in all of our lives, tuning in from not only around St. Louis, around the United States and around the world today. Uh, We have hundreds of thousands of downloads. It's very exciting. And I can't wait to share your heart and your message with these folks listening because we, you and I, and our listeners believe one person can change the world. And ultimately, that will be where we get today on how one life matters and how one big, one person can influence one other, one by one by one. 
Let's back up, though. I, I, I sense a little bit of an accent coming from you right now. Where, where were you born? Uh, so I was born in Alexandria, Louisiana, which is central Louisiana. So um, I live in the parish. Um, for those that don't know what a parish is, it's a county in most uh, places other than Louisiana um, that is still considered South Louisiana. So the dividing line between Louisiana, South Louisiana, and North Louisiana Um, It really speaks to religion. So Hmm. South Louisiana is very Catholic. North Louisiana is very Protestant. Um, And so I live in the parish furthest north, still considered uh, South Louisiana. Interesting. You born and raised there. Born and raised. What was life like growing up in South Louisiana? So um, I grew up in a town of around 800 people, uh, blink and light, cotton gin, Probably about 20 first cousins and running distance and (laughs) clearly fighting distance. I'm the youngest girl of the family. Uh, I have a younger cousin that's a boy, but of about 20-something cousins, I'm the the baby girl. And so um, it was lively uh, around Boyce, Louisiana. Your family itself, not the 20 cousins, but your individual family unit, mom and dad? Grew up with mom and dad. Um, they later got a divorce um, when I moved to Atlanta in my late 20s, um, unexpected. Um, but an older brother and older sister were two years apart. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot there, and we can go as deep as you'd like. But let, let's start by talking about your mom. I, I think we, without even knowing it, become the sum of those who influence us during our life. We we. We are shaped dramatically and directly by the people who guide us forward, teachers, rabbis, pastors, parents. Talk about your mom. Yeah, so my mom is law and order. I mean, she is a no-mess-around kind of lady. Um, She is um, the one that uh, is infused responsibility uh, in her children. She is the one that um, says you better get up early, you better stay late, and you better get something accomplished. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I have friends uh, who always said, your mom scares me. Um, So for all of those um, traits that I have um, that uh, clearly can track right back uh, to my mother. But she's a a generous but demanding uh, soul in this world. There's a tension there between the two. Oh, there is. Um, but, you know, she's also the, you know, she's demanding, but she's also the person. Um, you can call my mom in the middle of the night and tell her the, you know, the worst. Um, and she'll be there. Mm. Uh, but that's true for my entire family. That's an extraordinary gift uh, to be given as a young person. Did you grow up in a normal neighborhood? Oh, I grew up in this little town uh, of 800 people, and so we had everything. Um, If you saw it today, it looks like nothing, but it was Mayberry, literally. Um, We had an an arena, a rodeo arena, so we had horses, and we would barrel race. We had tennis courts. We had a library within two blocks of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the grocery store where we charged. We signed tabs, you know. We signed our names to buy candy. Um, we had everything in that little town, um, and it was just a few blocks. I mean, I don't, you know, it could only be a couple, you know, maybe 10, 10, 10 acres. Don't blink. Um, and so, and it, it was the natural, you know, listen, if you got in trouble right. uptown, which is about three blocks from your house, you got in trouble when you got back home. I mean, those stories right. of what it used to be like are true in mm-hmm. my world. Your father. 
Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, my dad, good Lord, just the most mischievous, funniest um, man I've ever met in my life, forgiving, um, um, generous, like, um, I have so many stories, you know, and he did, he did things that he probably shouldn't have done, but they're our favorite things. So, you know, we were Catholic and we certainly had, um, family living down the street, um, that were Protestant, uh, Baptist for the most part. So when their teenagers started to go on dates and wanted to get a bottle of wine, they knew they would get in trouble because they couldn't drink wine. But my dad, they always came to our front door and knocked on the door. My dad gave them a corkscrew, right? Um, he was the guy that he bought a brand new truck. And I called to check on him one day and somebody had taken his truck. And he said he went and found it on the riverbank and he called his uncle and they pulled out the truck and a, with a tractor. And, and I'm like, Dad, aren't you upset? Did you not call the police? And... He was like, oh, no, they're just some boys that probably hadn't been able to drive a new truck. So that was fine with him. So my dad is a real Southern character. Mm. And so, you know, thank God for both of them. I I mean, you know, I love to get in trouble and I love to work hard and. They gave me both. Well, and I I know you well enough to see those characteristics in you. The the hilarious, funny truck on the side of the road. And you're okay with that aspect. And also the woman who's at work before the sun is up and sometimes out long after it's down. Yeah. So, In addition to mom and dad, because I, I, I think the influencers in our life, we don't even realize how powerful they are while they're with us. Any other aunts, uncles, grandparents, teachers, pastors that, my gosh, this one person, John, you got to hear this story. Oh, my gosh. Well, l- let me just try to narrow it to two. But I've, I've got 50 uh, of these stories. So one of my aunts who's still alive today, she's 88 years old. She is the family matriarch. Um, she's an artist. She was a teacher, um, but she read and still reads every world magazine that exists. She's the smartest person I know, um, but she's the one that um, taught us how to play the ukulele and demanded that we played musical instruments and taught mm-hmm. us how to play chess and taught us how to paint and whatever artistic endeavor. So to this day, um, I have spent so much time at their home, uh, and which was, you know, was in, uh, riding a bicycle there. Yes. Um, so I have expressions that people I get in a lot of trouble about. And it's like, oh, my God, I, I get it right from my aunt that I spent so much time with. And then I have an aunt and her name is Ella, Ella Elizabeth. Um, and then I have an aunt, Joe, um, who was less interested in all the things that my aunt Ella was interested in. She was interested in us being involved in 4-H. Hmm. And collecting weeds and seeds and insects and staying out late at night with us. Um, So, uh, you know, all of these experiences, I had so many people, so many adults, just unique uh, in what they loved. And they gave they just poured it into us. So normally I would even want to spend more and more time unpacking the Louisiana love story. You have so much to share with what you're doing today. And I think in our community, there's such need for it. So we're going we're gonna to kind of speed through the next little episode of our life story. What brings you out of this small town? What, what, where do you go after you leave this 800-person, one-blinking-light town? Yeah, so I didn't leave really immediately. Uh, I got my degree in education, but uh, became a school teacher. I just went north uh, to Arkansas, and uh, and because all of my friends from college were from Arkansas, they went back home, and I just followed them. them. 
And I, I spent one year only in the classroom. Uh, I love teaching. I love the classroom. What, what level were you teaching? Uh, high school. Uh, I was wow. teaching world history. Um, I would still be in the classroom if it was a one-room classroom and I had a 15-passenger bus and I could teach them the way I was taught growing up. Uh, they brought us to places, taught us things. Um, but I left there. You, with, was it more of a hands-on type uh, learning experience? Oh, yeah. Everything I learned was through hands-on observation. My dad was an elected official. You know, but, you know, there's 15 hours on that story alone and what we saw living in rural Louisiana. Uh, we had access to everything. Um, but yeah. I went back home um, and was the boomerang baby, the one that, you know, the parents were like, oh, my gosh, she moved back in the house. Um, and so I worked retail for a little while to figure out what, what it's going to do. And um, But I found a job at the YWCA in Alexandria. Um, so Boyce was 15 miles from Alexandria. So I lived in the country. Um, and then I founded Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Louisiana uh, in uh, Alexandria. And uh, from there, uh, stayed there two years, and then I got a job offer in Atlanta. And I wasn't going to go because they were going to pay me less money in Atlanta. And it was my mom who said, you must go. Um, And because she said, eventually you'll ruin what you developed. It's your baby, and you're not going to let anybody touch it. Um, So I left home at the urging of my mom. What was it about the, the organization in Alexandria that you fell in love with enough to believe that Atlanta and then eventually the next steps are part of your your life calling? Um, big brothers, big sisters, you know, this is where I may start getting a little bit teary on you. Um, <laughs> it is an extension of everything I know. I mean, there's no separation. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, some of the hard work separates me. Um, some days it's like I need to walk away from Big Brothers Big Sisters, but that's the grinding work of volunteer recruitment and being a CEO and personnel and raising money. But there's no separation between the mission of the organization and my life of adults coming around and pouring love and goodness and experience and exposure and support into the life of a child. So you- we're taking this for granted because we're so intimately aware of Big Brothers Big Sisters. For those who are tuning in and for the first time hearing those four words put together, tell us a little bit about Big Brothers Big Sisters. What What is this organization? So the mission of Big Brothers Big Sisters um, is to um, build trusting and enduring relationships between adult volunteers and children uh, primarily those that are in the most needs, growing up in homes with uh, in a single parent home, uh, whether it's with a mom or a dad that need extra support for children who don't get all of the opportunities that you and I got throughout life to to be there for them. Mm. I mean, a big brother's job is to be there to support, guide, coach, expose, redirect um, a child. And that mission is my the story of my life. Um, and so to wake up every day, uh, to give away what I've been given is not only makes so much sense, it's all I've got, mm. you know, really to give away um, is what's been given to me. And so this is this is easy for me to wake up every day, almost 30 years doing. Tell me what what a big what does the big giveaway and return receive in return and then take it from the opposite side of the coin as a little you know, ages 8 to 18, is that about right, Becky? Yeah, so in St. Louis, we serve ages 5 to 25. Okay. So I really believe in that quote. I don't I don't know who said it, but, you know, whatever you put out in the world is what you get back. 
And I think when a big, you know, puts out, gives away love and support and kindness and knowledge and encouragement, every big I know receives it in return because then the child has it. You've given them that. They now can give it right back to you Mm. or they can give it back to a sibling. They can give it back to a teacher. I mean, one of the the greatest um, stories, there's a pastor in St. Louis years ago talked about, um, you know, if you want orange juice, you can't get it from a grape. They don't have it. You're not going to get orange juice from a grapefruit. It doesn't have orange juice to give. You can't give away what you don't have. And when a big gives a child that extra love, support, and encouragement, they now have it, and they can now give it away. And whether it's the big giving it and the child receiving it, once the child has it, they can give it away. And I think that is probably a concept that you can live every day because you have something to give. And it may not be a million dollars or even a dollar, uh, but you have a smile, you've got kindness, you've got a story. Every one of us have something to give. What, what did you learn from that season you spent in Alexandria working in that organization? So I realized um, in that organization that I had more assets and skills than I realized. Because when I uh, decided to create Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern, I mean, of, of Central Louisiana, um, I went and talked to some people, and three people told me, you shouldn't do it and you can't do it. I realized that I've become very stubborn around those kinds of things. Yes. Um, mama showing up again. Yeah, it's like, yeah, no, I, I think I can do it and we will do it. And um, and I called a gentleman that I knew. Uh, his children had gone to school with him. Uh, he, my dad had helped him when he was an elected official. He was the head of Central Louisiana Electric Company. He was He was the biggest guy in town. And I called on him and I walked into his office and he gave me the meeting because he knew my dad and, then, you know, I went to school with his kids. And I walked into the office, which was very intimidating. I was 20-something years old. And the first thing he said to me is, I don't have any money to give you. And little smart alecky that I am, I said, I don't think I ask you for any. Long story short, he became my mentor. I still go home <clears throat> to see him. He still proofs some of my work. Uh, to this day, almost 30 years uh, later, uh, he became the chairman of the board. There's mm-hmm. lots of stories in that mentoring relationship. But um, he made me realize that, yeah, I was a little girl that ran barefooted in that little bitty town for all those years. But I'd learned a lot. I'd accumulated a lot of relationships, and I should put them to work. Oof. And my friends, while you're listening in the in the cars or poolside or wherever you're hanging out right now, checking out our Live Inspired podcast. When you're hearing about these bigs, um, also hear it from a mentorship type responsibility, not only to the little ones in our community that may have received or have less than we had growing up, but in in the ability we have through all of our lives to impact those we work with or worship with or work out with, the little things we do and the little encouragement we may offer can transform someone else's life and always does. It always does. And so it certainly did for you back in Alexandria. You eventually hopped the bus, take it over to Atlanta. What what were you doing doing in Atlanta? 
Yeah, so I um, was in Louisiana trying to start this this nonprofit um, in partnership with the YWCA, uh, where I was working at the time. And I flew to Atlanta for training. And um, before I know it, two two days into it, uh, the CEO of the Big Brothers Big Sisters of uh, Greater uh, Atlanta, which was the largest at the time, um, asked me to come into her office um, and that she'd heard what I'd accomplished in Louisiana and offered me a job. Um, and so uh, I packed up and moved to Atlanta to my mother's great uh, she was very proud of me that I, and encouraged me, said, you have to leave. Um, um, she was uh, horrified at how my dad and I uh, organized my departure. Um, she thought that I probably should have a moving truck take me, and I thought, no, I can drive a truck and put my car on a, Where she uh, you know, put it on a trailer and drive myself straight to Atlanta alone. My dad thought it was fabulous. It was the thing to do. I was, um, and so as we got the truck ready, the car's on the back. I'm driving alone, baseball cap on. I'm driving myself to Atlanta in a 15-foot rider truck, and my dad walked up to the window, and he said, do you know how to back this truck up? And I said, I have no idea. He said, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to keep the truck full of gas. I'm going to make sure it's a half a tank every time, and I'm going to drive into the gas station so that I'm always going forward. And he goes, but you could get in a situation where you have to back up. And I said, and that's when I'm going to get out and go in there and find an older gentleman and ask him to back the truck up. I actually had to do that in Alabama. But I got myself to Atlanta, parked the truck, unloaded the car, and went to work. You went to work doing what, Becky? Uh, I became I was I became the director of Big Brothers Big Sisters in Gwinnett County, which uh-huh. at the time was the largest, uh, the county growing the fastest in the country. It's a county right outside of uh, downtown uh, Atlanta, and then nine months later they promoted me to vice president of programs. So I went from the smallest agency in the country to as the executive director of the smallest agency in the country to the vice president of the largest agency in the country so, in about nine months. I'm just going to keep asking you the question as we roll forward down, down the path of your life. What did you learn during that season? So um, I learned what I was really bad at. Um, I'm really bad at order. Um, I am really bad at... Um, putting things in documentation. I mean, all the kinds of things that make, um, you know, your boss sane. I'm the one that is not the, I'm not the, I'm the idea person. Uh, I need help around that. I, I learned that this mission and this work is demanding and there's so many children uh, in need. And my uh, supervisor, the boss, the CEO uh, took me aside one day, and she was she had grown the agency to be the largest in the country. And um, she said to me, always try to be the coach and not the boss. And I've never forgotten it. I've mm. not always been. I've found myself many times being too bossy and not coaching enough. But I never forgot that that was the right thing to do. Tell us what those what that sentence means to you, that encouragement, that mantra. Always try to be the coach, not the boss. What's the difference? So I think, um, you know, I think of the coach as being a mentor, um, is that, you know, people, all people want to wake up and have a good day, want to be successful, want to 
get it done right. I mean, I just think that's the human spirit. Mm. And there have been there are times in my life in the past, present, and certainly in the future um, when I'm going to want something done and I want it done now and um, I'm more demanding. Um, need to listen more uh, to your team. Uh, need to listen to your little about what they want to get accomplished, how they want to get it done, and encourage them. And I'm lucky uh, that I've been around this long, I'll, 30 years next year. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm older, you know, I'm, you know, 55. And so <laughs> right. I'm not 30 anymore. Uh, right. And so that's helped a lot uh, that I can um, calm down and, and listen to others. But any mentors who, uh, I'm, I'm going to shift gears actually, what brought you to St. Louis? So I was sitting happy in Atlanta, um, but had been there for about four and a half years. I was vice president of the largest agency in the country. And um, a uh, staff person at Big Brothers Big Sisters of America told me about the St. Louis uh, agency and said it's a small organization, but I think um, you can help them rebuild. And I think you should apply for that job. I wasn't looking for the job. Um, interesting. I And I said, okay. So I applied for the job. Um, I didn't get the uh, offer. I was the two finalists. Um, they offered the job to someone else, um, and um, he turned it down. So I was their second pick. Mm. They called me back in Atlanta and uh, offered me the job. Did and you so, know that you did not get the job? Then they offered it to someone else. Then they came back kind of with their tails between their legs saying, hey, good news. <laughs> Yeah, well, I knew I was second, but they actually didn't have their uh, tail between their legs. I mean, they they were unapologetic about it. I mean, I'm fine with that. I yeah, mean, that's you your know, style. they thought um, <laughs> that the candidate uh, and probably would have been. I mean, yeah. I, I I understood their first pick, um, and so they came back. Um, but they offered me the offer was not exactly what I was expecting. It was much less, and so. Um, I called my brother and I said, I'm not too sure what to do about this. And he gave me uh, really great advice. He first said, do you want to do the job? And the answer was, yes, I want to do the job. And he said, do you trust them as a group of people, a board? Do you trust this this group of people? And I said, you know, actually, I do. They've been honest with me, although I, you know, didn't like some of the decisions. They were very honest with me about their process Uh, And then he said, well, then take it. And I'm like, but the money is not right where it needs to be. You know, I'm not too sure. And he said, well, this is what you should say. Um, Just tell him you'd make this decision a lot easier if you would dot, dot, dot. And so I said, okay. And I said that to them. I said, you'd make it a lot easier if you would do this. And they said, well, we're sorry. (laughs) We can't come up with that. And I said, okay, uh, when do y'all want me? (laughs) So, um and I, it, it's the best decision I ever made in my life. This is two and a half decades almost ago, 23 years or so. 23 years ago. That's a run. You, when you came in, Becky, how, how many matches were being met currently in this part of uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters? Yeah, so that was in 1994. And so there were probably about 250 to 300 active relationships. And where are we now? Um, so we should probably in the year around 1,800 so it's um, it's been pretty good. You know, numbers are easily lost. 18, that's a lot of matches. or it's, it's not a whole lot of matches. I don't know how people view it. So instead of looking at the, the, the sum total, let's talk about a couple individual stories. 
like the 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 impact of a match. And uh, a, a little sidebar note, just to be clear, I am a big brother. I had uh, an incredible young man named Travion that my wife and I were matched with who changed our life. We did it to be generous. Aren't we nice to be kind to some kid? And he changed our lives. And it, I'll, I'll never forget all that Travian taught us about life and real generosity. And we were lucky enough that in some ways we changed his too. Uh, but that's one story. I'd like you to share some of the stories that you've heard over the 23 years in St. Louis of a big life being dramatically impacted or littles, maybe both. Yeah, so I, you know, to come uh, to mind first, uh, I've been a longtime big sister myself. Um, so my little sister is now uh, around 29 years old. I was matched with her when she was eight. She's still very much in my life. Um, and she is... Um, uh, has children married uh, and has a lot going for her, and I admire her so much, Kashira. Um, she's amazing. Um, and then there's another little brother um, that that was matched when he was six years old, and uh, his name is Jonathan. And Jonathan grew up uh, in a county, uh, Jefferson County, just south of St. Louis County. Um, he was um, born to, I think there's about six kids in the family. His dad was in construction, but his dad got in a car accident and died before he was born. Mom was pregnant. Um, and at six years old, she put Jonathan, um, in the program and he was matched with a big brother by the name of Dennis and Dennis stayed with him and is still with Jonathan today. The photos of um, Dennis teaching Jonathan to ride a bicycle, teaching him how to drive, teaching him how to talk to girls. Yes. Um, just helped him grow up yes. as a young man. And so Jonathan today has graduated from uh, Rankin Technical School in HVAC Systems. Um, we have supported him throughout, helped him get scholarships, um, and we recently had a job fair. This has been um, last year sometime and invited um, Gerald um, Construction, um, the mechanics to come over and meet him. And they offered him a job on the spot. And what's crazy about how small this world is when his big brother found out the gentleman that had offered his little brother the job is someone he had worked on a job with before. So I just think it's so important for people to understand how powerful our relationships are. I mean, they're really the only things that make our life better or harder is who is in your life. Who do you have access to? Yeah. Um, and, and life and relationships are powerful, uh, positive and negative. Um, so you really, really need to collect as many amazing friends and people around you. We talked off air about, you know, I think we should talk about the why behind this, the why behind mentoring and loving. Yeah, of course, through Big Brothers, Big Sisters and beyond. Why, why do this? So tell me a little bit about why we should consider giving generously of our time and love and experience to those around us. Yeah, so I think there's two areas there, um, some that I've already spoken about. I mean, if you if you've never been loved like really love like you know that someone wakes up in the morning 
And even when you're at your worst, they still love you. If you've not felt that sense of security, um, anxiety thrives. And so if you've ever felt it or ever wanted it, you can recreate it uh, and you can give it away. So uh, the human spirit survives on love and it struggles without it. Um, I think the other why is particularly for so many children in this country that are growing up with so much stress and anxiety. And, and honestly, they're already, all kids are growing up with so much stress and anxiety. Um, you know, the internet um, is putting so much pressure on all the bullying that seems to be going on there. The expectations of childhood have been compromised in too many places. You know, that's from a little girl that got to run around, you know, barefoot and collect insects and had, you know, expected to make decent grades, but I didn't have to make straight A's. Mm-hmm. Um, when when I graduated from high school, I was expected to go to college and just get a degree. Um, I, no one ever set up the expectation that I have to, like, be the president of a company one day. Just I just got to develop yes. with love. <laughs> and then you have kids growing up today, and particularly children in poor families that are under-resourced. And they're so stressed out. You know, they're stressed out because of poverty, because of lack of access, because of opportunity. And when a big goes and picks up a little brother or a little sister on the weekend and you go to the park and fly a kite, that is almost like a two-week vacation. And For and, both people. But I, I flew that kite. And, man— I hadn't flown a kite in two decades and had the time of my life in a park with my little flying a kite. So did he. And so it met all those little moments that we don't really pay a lot of attention to. They accumulate. And and so I want people to understand that four hours a month with a child literally does transform their life. If you show up with that sense of I'm here to be here for you. You're not broken. I don't need to fix you. I just need to come side by side with you, share with you, and love you. And that literally transforms a life. You live and work and love and are challenged in a city with some massive racial divide. Poverty is is rampant. The need for mentorship is, I think, greater than ever. You have a whole bunch of employees, a whole bunch of matches, a whole bunch of kids on the list that are looking to be matched up, a whole lot of stress, in other words, Becky. What gets you out of bed early, keeps you up late, and then keeps that goofy, beautiful smile on your face all day long? So I a couple of things. Um, I know stress. All of us, uh, if you uh, pay attention to yourself, you know stress. Um, and, and anger, I trust anger. Um, you know, that was, you know, that was one of the greatest gifts I was given as a child, um, that it was okay to be angry. It was okay to be mad. Um, and so my experience with stress and anger, um, is a honest, um, truthful emotions, um, that I connect with as easily as I connect to joy and laughter. And I, I don't 
it never I'm never afraid of it. I don't walk away from it. I actually can sit with it very comfortably. Mm. Listening to yourself when you are in joy or laughter or anger and stress, what do you do with it? Because now you're speaking not only about mentorship, but about this the place where almost all of us listening today may find themselves. Some of us are laughing. We got goofy grins on our face right now, but others, many of us, we're in the midst of the storm. We're in the midst of anger. We've been burned in the past. We're mad about something, and we got a whole lot of anxiety and stress. So talk talk to us for a moment. You say you're okay with it. The rest of us aren't. How do we get okay with it, and then how do we pivot back into a place of possibility? So I think um, the way I handle all of those emotions um, is to simply own them, affirm them, uh, don't beat myself up, don't congratulate myself, Um and just sit with it. Um, I've found that it's when I try to make it go away or I try to rationalize it. Uh, but I've learned over the years that, yes, I'm mad and I'm going to sit right here with it. And it's OK to be mad. Uh, and the more I hug it, <laughs> the more it seems to find its way out of me. Mm. And uh, I think when you're fighting it you're actually giving it more power. Yeah. Um, and so I was once told that every thought that comes into your head doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's real. Uh, it means just listen to it, affirm it. And boy, when you hug something, uh, even if it's anger and bitterness, um, it, it somehow it dissipates. It's no doubt. when you try to fight it that it doesn't work. And it's hard to hate ultimately what you're hugging. You know oh, what I mean? Well, it's, almost, it, it's impossible. Yes. Uh, it is really impossible. And so if there's someone you don't like, I mean, the human touch is an amazing thing um, to get you to move past it, uh, to just grab somebody's hand and hold it. Um, you'll get past anger and hate just a little bit. And I have found 100% of the time, whether it's me or someone else, um, the anger and hate is because I don't think you see me. I don't think you know me, and I don't think you care about me. It's all very much the human experience. Yeah. Sitting here today, looking out the window, D- December 2017, the midst of Hanukkah, Christmas, moving toward the new year, challenges all around us, politically, uh, racially, poverty, n- name the, the, the ism. We, we have it going on in this office, but also around our city, around our country, around our globe. Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic going forward? As you look toward 2018 and beyond, tell me your heart. Yeah, I am completely optimistic. And I am more optimistic the more uh, community expression I see. So I am the person that um, with uh, the protest, with the outward frustration, uh, I am more comfortable the more I see it. Um, Because, again, I believe it. I think it's honest. There's an amazing book uh, called The Oz Principle, and it's the whole idea of the Wizard of Oz. Um, there is no yellow brick road. There's no Oz behind the curtain, and there is no Emerald City. Um, we all have to see it, own it, solve it, and do it. Mm. And um, I think we get in trouble when we don't want to see it or refuse to see it. Um, so I'm optimistic. I am I'm just completely optimistic about um, where we are Although it's uncomfortable, um, and I think if we can just see it from other people's vantage point and other people can see each other, um, we're all at the exact same place. When I see the toughest fights or the biggest fights, 
They all want the exact same thing. Yes. None of us want anything different. We all want to be loved, respected, included, and have access to opportunities. We're just coming at it from different sides. So as a speaker, I used to be very nervous. How would kids in the city or in some poor community in the county deal with me coming in front of them? And then I realized they wanted the same thing I did when I was a kid. And then I got nervous. Well, when I speak to inmates, how will they embrace this message? And then you realize they want the same thing. When I started traveling internationally, whether that's uh, El Salvador or Saudi Arabia, and I got nervous about how will they take this message? Wow. Isn't it weird that we humans want the same things? And if we can really get to a place where we can have an honest conversation around it, I think we'll discover that what unites us is much more powerful than what divides us. Yeah, so I would just also absolutely, and I would add to that, um, two words. Be curious and courageous. I mean, to meet someone who doesn't believe in the same things that you believe in or see the world in the same ways that you see it. That is the opportunity to learn. Um, Ask questions. I mean, I think if there's one thing we don't do enough of is ask questions. We're so busy talking (laughs) at people um, that we don't ask a lot of questions. And so just just be courageous and, and curious. And relationships really thrive in those places as well. Becky, for those who want to learn more about the work that you're doing as an organization, where, where can we check out Big Brothers Big Sisters? So we love the Internet, right? So um, if you go to bbbsemo.org, so that's three Bs and S and EMO as in Eastern Missouri, Uh, You can learn about Big Brothers Big Sisters Eastern Missouri. And certainly, if you would like to get um, connected with another agency across the country, our team can help you. Or certainly, you can go online and look at Big Brothers Big Sisters. There are over 300 affiliates across the country. So every one of us um, need volunteers, need to have the community understand the needs of children. And my colleagues across the country would probably love to hear from you, too. I know they would. And uh, we are about to shift gears into the the Live Inspired 7. If you weren't able yet to write down Becky's website, you can certainly go to JohnO'LearyInspires.com. We'll have a link there. While you are there in the show notes, by the way, I'm encouraging you to type in who your big was growing up. Who was your big? I, I could talk about my brother, Jim, forever. I could talk about my four sisters. could talk about our, our pastor. talk about my mom and dad. Man, we had an awful lot of bigs. I can't wait to hear who yours are. And while you're typing, while you're listening to this, I want to acknowledge this with Becky. I was a big in your organization, and my wife and I are announcing live today on the Live Inspired studio, Becky's celebrating with pom-poms next to me. I, we want to do it again. That I experience guess. changed us as a couple And I can't wait to be changed again now as an older guy with four kids. I can't wait for my kids to be changed. So uh, we are committing to becoming involved again with Big Brothers Big Sisters with our time. And then as an organization, speaking to my colleagues that I work with that live inspired, you know, how how do we get involved? How do we make a difference? It's about $1,000 for a match to take place. So not only do we want to cover our own match, but we want to cover the matches of four others. So we're going to be donating. We're going to be contributing $5,000 to Big Brothers Big Sisters through Live Inspired. My friends, that's you listening. By the way, that's you, you've given us the ability to make this donation. So this is on behalf of you uh, that we're making five matches here in town a reality. So I wanted to acknowledge this, call it out. Now I'm held accountable. The Oz principles at stake here. <laughs> so before, before Becky gives me a big hug and a handshake, we're going to shift gears and get the attention back from me, back to Becky, ultimately into your lives. Becky, what's the best book you've ever read? 
Oh, my goodness. So we, we may have to divide this into um, categories. So on the business side, a professional side of my world, anything and everything that is Peter Drucker or Jim Collins. Uh, I am just a diehard fan um, in their um, their work. On a personal level, you know, I, you know, admittedly, I'm more of my husband said, why don't you read for pleasure? And I'm like, I actually love business books. So, I mean, I, I can sit alone and read business books. Um, I'm not too sure uh, what I would say as far as um, fiction um, goes. I'm a I'm a autobiography, biography kind of person. Mm-hmm. But it would if it would be some of the southern books that I grew up with um, that I've had to learn through them. Uh, you know, certainly To Kill a Mockingbird was something. Uh, Catcher in the Rye. Some of the classics um, would be probably on my list of must-reads. Mine too. Tomorrow, you discover your wealthy uncle down there in southern Louisiana has shockingly died at 103. All right, no one saw that coming. Leaving you with millions, millions and millions of dollars. Becky, what would you do with that newfound wealth? Oh, this is the simplest question ever. I would, <laughs> I, I, w- I would create an endowment for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Missouri, uh, without question. Don't even need to think about it. That's the answer. If I win the lottery, if your house caught fire and all living things and animals, people, they're all out, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab a single item, and you've got to go in for it, what would you grab? The bookcase with all my favorite books. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who would you want to be hanging out with all day on a gorgeous day? Just one person, Becky. My husband. Oh, that's awesome. What would you What would you talk about? Um, everything. I mean, he's. We're just good together. We're good conversationalists. So, um, yeah, that my buddy. You know, there, there is no wrong answer to that question. And we've heard everybody from folks who were alive 2,600 years ago uh, to siblings who, who lost their life earlier in life. But I, I think when someone says, my my family, my spouse, my partner, man, that, that turns me on. So congratulations. What's the best advice that you've ever received? Well, um, my dad. Um, so growing up in this very small town, there was a gentleman by the name of Adrian, and Adrian was an alcoholic, and uh, he got into so much trouble. I mean, one one night he got pulled over with he and his dad drinking, and he literally bit half of a state trooper's ear off. So, of course, I'm laying on the couch in the summer with my cousin, one on one couch, one on the other, and we're adolescents, 12, 13. We're laughing. We're making fun of Adrian, drinking too much and biting a state trooper's ear. And I, to this day, clearly remember my dad walking very, very, very slowly through the living room. And I guess he was listening to what we were saying about Adrian. And he got to the other side of the room and he said, and I'll never forget it, Becky, you might want to go hide behind a garbage can and watch yourself walk by. And it is is crystal clear in my head that uh, all of us have real challenges and struggles. And you're not the child, you're not my child, uh, to be talking bad and making fun of others and their hardships. Mm. And he he was never a man 
that told you what to do ever. He would have never said, you don't need to talk about Adrian. He was always the one that gave you these amazing life lessons. And he picked a garbage can on purpose, I know, because he thought that was just trash talk. Great advice. We all need to hear it. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Relax and have more fun. (laughs) (laughs) You may want to tell your 55-year-old self the same thing, Becky. Yeah, yeah, relax, have fun. Final question. Unfortunately, I, I honestly, I could spend all day hanging out with Becky Hatter. She's my buddy and I love her. But Becky, it has been said that all great people, and I get to hang out with one today, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? So I, um, I'll i have to think about the sentence, um, but I can think about words. And one word, I just lucky. Just lucky to have been born to the family which I was born into and to the place I grew up in. Um, I'm just really lucky. Becky James Hatter, president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters Eastern Missouri. I heard earlier today, and you may have shared it, that the human spirit survives and thrives on love and it dies without it. You have breathed so much possibility and life into so many human spirits in our community and beyond. I'm one of them. There are thousands of folks listening to the podcast today and beyond that will be touched by your story. And I just want to thank you personally for being the one who reminds us that the best days are in front of us, not behind us. Absolutely. My friends, that was Becky Hatter. This is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, that was Becky James Hatter. She is the president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters Eastern Missouri. She is a dynamo. She's awesome. She is on fire. Uh, when you write a book like On Fire, this book that came out coming up now on two years ago, the cover picture of On Fire could be Becky. It is a story of someone who is awake, who is alive, who has been through ups and downs and ultimately realizes that it isn't showing up, that we we can't do it by ourselves, but also there are people around us that need us to positively engage with them. What a powerful reminder today to engage not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. I love her. I I love the fact she shared her story. I love being a big brother. I'm I'm loving the fact that I proclaimed publicly today, I'm going to do it again. So hold me accountable to that. When you see me in an airport or uh, at a speech sometime in the future, ask me how my new relationship is. And I can't wait to show you pictures of my little. I don't even know who he or she is yet, but I can't wait to meet her. My friends, if you want to learn more about this story and others, check it all out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. That's where we keep all of our podcasts. It's also where we keep all the information from our community. So, uh, you know, our blogging, our writings, the book on fire, our videos, everything that's part of our inspired movement. Check it all out and then be bold enough to not only look at it and read about it or watch it, but to share it wherever you share information, whether that's in the gym or where you work, where you worship, maybe online through social media, share our stuff, share this podcast, let others know that in a community where there's so much anxiety, so much stress and fear, that there's also a reason for hope and possibility, light and life. Have them check it all out at our website, johnolearyinspires.com. 
I love you guys. I love you ladies. Thank you for believing with me that the best is yet to come. So for this time, and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired.